are the light of the world. A city that is on a hill cannot be hidden. You guys, we get a picture from Jesus' teachings all through the Bible, but in these verses, I think you can really clearly see that we get a picture of the church and of the, the lives of the, uh, God's children, us, of what, these, of what it is to look like in the world. And when you read these passages, I think you have to agree that the, the church and us as the members of the body, the church, are meant to, to be living lives that are effective, that are impactful, and that are visible and, and making a difference in the world around us. Would you agree with that? that? There's no sense that we really get here when we read these verses that the church is to be kind of inwardly focused or that the church is to be kind of quiet and removed or sort of segregated from all of the other areas of society, or that she's not meant to be influential and impactful in all of the things that pertain to our lives in society around us. That is not the picture that we see of the church. In fact, the church that Jesus established, that he came and that he gave his life for, is a church that he gives power to, which means he gives power to us in our lives to bring transformational change in the world. Can I just tell you something? This is the truth. There is no ability in our human nature to bring transformational change to anything as it pertains to the way God is calling us to live. The only ability to bring transformational change is through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us in our lives. And that's what Jesus did. He established an institution, we will call it, called the church, which was the members of his body that would go on after he left this earth, to bring continuous, for all the years to come, transformational change in the world that more people would know Christ and would live in heaven eternally with God. And so we carry this ability, this power as children of God to be able to bring transformational change in the world around us, but it's the power of God coming out of our lives that does that. But i got to be honest with you. And I'm sure you would probably say this is, this is accurate. The church today in the United States has kind of lost her voice in a lot of ways. That's not the picture of the church that I get when I read my Bible. That's not the way that I see Jesus established it. But when I see things in the world that are going on, it really just almost makes me cringe, you know, because you see all of this evil and this injustice and this immorality and this what's, what's wrong is now right and what's right is actually wrong and, and all of these things. And, and so much of what seems to be happening is, is that the church is kind of stepping back and sort of losing her voice a little bit and kind of starting to almost get quiet on matters in a lot of ways because there's this sense of not maybe being politically correct or offending people or just saying something wrong that's not going to be popular with culture. 
And, and listen, there's an extreme to this, and I get that, okay? There are churches or people in the name of Christianity who have done and are doing horrible, hateful things to try to bring change. Everybody's probably heard of the church down south, Westboro Baptist Church, right? I don't mind telling you this. I do not believe in any way with the way they go about trying to declare the things of God. It's laced with nothing but hate and judgmentalism, and there's nothing about that way of doing things that's ever, in my opinion, going to bring any kind of healthy transformation to anything. But in a lot of ways, the other opposite of that, the other extreme of that, is that a lot of people are just kind of like, well, you know, I'm just going to kind of keep my Christianity to myself. I'm just going to kind of, I don't want to say anything. I don't want to mention anything about that. I don't want to say my opinion because I just definitely don't want to offend somebody or I don't want to, you know, say something that somebody would disagree with. It's almost like there's this kind of intimidation that the enemy is using through the movement and culture to try to silence the church. And that's not the church that Jesus established. And that's not the lives that we're meant to live. But when we bring love, but we also have a boldness about us and about our faith. Listen, just like Jesus showed us, when, when there is an overflow of love that's pouring out of our lives, it will always bring transformational change to everything around it that it touches. And, and I, I fully believe that we are in a time and in a day in our land where we are in desperate need for the church to rise up, to get strong, and for her members to be strong outside the walls of the church in all of the areas of society that we live in, guys. Because transformational change is needed everywhere. It's needed in government. It's needed in business. It's needed in politics. It's needed in schools. I mean, you name it. It's needed everywhere. But it's not going to happen if the people that carry the transforming power who are in those places already aren't overflowing with it, coming out of them, bringing that kind of change to the atmosphere around them. It's like a grassroots kind of thing, right? It starts where where we're already positioned and it begins to flow out of us and it begins to create the movement that we want to see happen, which is obviously the godly, the things of God beginning to come forth and be prevalent and be significant and priorities in our society today. Now, there's a story that I want to take you to today. I, I wanted to open with these verses so that you could see, look, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. The church is not meant to be pushed away, quieted, silenced, and pushed out of things in society so that she has no say-so. Really, if you want to get right down to it, the church should be the most influential organization in all matters of society. I fully believe that. That's the way God created things to be. But we have to, it's not happening that way right now. How many would agree? that That's not what we see when we look out and, and survey our landscape. But I believe it can come. I believe we can see it happen. There's been revivals and awakenings that have taken place over the last few hundred years in different eras, and it has brought transformational change to cultures, to nations, and to societies. And we could see that happen here in in the United States. But it's not going to happen if the church is getting weaker and quieter and more afraid to stand up for the, tr- the convictions and the morals and the values that we know the Bible declares to us. So there's this story 
in John chapter 4. It's a fantastic story, but I feel like this gives one of the best pictures of how transformational change is brought into an area, into a community, and into a place where you would think it's, it's almost like a spiritual wasteland where they are. So Jesus is traveling with his disciples, and, and in the beginning of chapter 4, it, it, there's these verses that says that he had to go through Samaria, a place called Samaria, okay? Now, just quickly, Samaria is the region to the north of Jerusalem. Originally, there's 12 tribes that made up the nation of Israel. After the reign of King Solomon, the tribes basically split, and the 10 tribes in the north were occupying this region that became known as Samaria. They eventually, in about 722 B.C., were conquered and overrun by a nation called Assyria. And as the Assyrians did that, they began to commingle uh, and, and they began to, to have families and marry together. And as a result, what happened was idolatry became rampant and they no longer served the true God. So they were serving idols and false gods. They built temples to false worship. And so as a result of that, you had this situation where the tribes in the south which were Judah and Benjamin, they wanted nothing to do with them. There was a very strong line of separation. They almost felt like even to speak to someone from Samaria, to be seen speaking to them was almost like you became unclean. So there was these staunch lines in the social structure that were just not to be crossed. But how many know that Jesus doesn't like to go with culture, Right? So Jesus, it says he has to go through Samaria. Well, interestingly enough, if you study geography, with where they were and where they were headed, they actually didn't need to go through Samaria in order to find a shorter route to get where they were going. There was actually an attention that God had to do something in Samaria. That's why Jesus had to go through there. It was actually a longer and more difficult path to take. So Jesus goes into Samaria, and he meets this woman at a well, this Samaritan woman at a well, and she's there to get some water in the middle of the day. And why is she there in the middle of the day at high noon? Because she doesn't want to be seen by a bunch of other people. Why does she not want to be seen by a bunch of other people? Because she's living a life that is, that is adulterous and that is, uh, she's ashamed and she's carrying all this shame. So she, she goes to the well to get some water. Jesus shows up. He meets her there. And that's where we're going to enter our story. So John chapter 4, if you can open to there. Verse 4, we'll start there. But he needed to go through Samaria. And so the picture I was trying to paint of you is just how bad the culture, how ungodly the place really is that Jesus is walking into, and wait till you see what kind of transformational change ends up taking place, right? I love the power of contrast. You get a, you get a place like Samaria where you think there's no way that change can be brought to this place. Let's start with something easier and more simple, you know, where they're just a little off track. These people are way out there away from God, and Jesus goes in there. So he came to the city of Samaria, which is in Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now, Jacob's well was there. Remember that. That's an important point to this story is that Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat by the well. 
It was about the sixth hour, and a woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Then the, Samari- then the woman of Samaria said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So, time out right there. We see the reaction. She's, she's literally in shell shock. Say what? You just, you just talk to me? Because she can't believe that this Jewish rabbi, this teacher, Jesus, is even speaking to her, much less in a cordial fashion, right? And you know what Jesus is doing, right? He's opening the lines of communication. He's beginning a conversation that's already pre-motivated by a love for this woman, despite what kind of things she's already involved in. Hallelujah to that heart. That there's a pre-motivation of love ought to be the driving force behind everything we ever set out to do or any kind of change we ever want to bring. Do you ever think to yourself, like, well, I do want to say something, I do have an opinion about this, but... You know, I definitely don't want to, like, come across the wrong way or offend somebody. I've thought that too, right? But listen, let me just say this to you. I've learned this. If your heart is right, if your motive is love, and you want to see God's will done, and you're seeking Him to help you to be able to bring forth that love and to say things in the right way. Can I tell you something? God will always use you, and He will always cover your words and your conversations with everything that you do. I'm not saying you won't ever be misunderstood or misinterpreted, but what I'm saying is that you can feel good about the fact that you know if your heart is right before God, then you are stepping out in faith to do something to bring some kind of change for him. Amen? Verse 10, so Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God, and it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? So let's stop right there. She's thinking natural terms right now. Water to drink for her physical body, right? And she says to him, are you greater than our father Jacob? See, this was Jacob's well that he had dug in this area and that it had remained a source of water as a well for people to come and drink from for years and years and years. And she says, are you greater than our father Jacob? Can I tell you something? The answer is a resounding yes. Yes, because he's bringing a different kind of water. He's saying, I'm bringing living water. Now, in the Bible, anytime you see water used as a metaphor, it's always to imply that it's the Holy Spirit, right? And he's saying, I'm going to bring forth a water that you've never tasted before and that you can't imagine what it's going to be able to do for the life that you need to live. And so in verse 13, Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, talking about the well of Jacob. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. 
but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. A fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. In the message version of the Bible, it actually says that it will be a gushing fountain bringing and springing up water all the time. Now I want you to think about this. Transformational change. We need to see that in the world around us. There is a water that is tapped on the inside of us when we accept Christ and his Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of us. And what he's saying is that this is not going to be like the well that you're drinking from right now. See, the well you're drinking from that Jacob dug, it just holds water. It just sort of collects it, and people have to come and get down in there to dip some out. And eventually, just like all wells, eventually that well is going to go dry. But the picture that he gives is of a gushing spring that is constantly bubbling over and overflowing. He's saying it's like a geyser. It's like when the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of you, it's not only going to fill you up, guys, to where you're full, but there's going to be this internal pressure and building and rising all the time as you walk in relationship with God and through His Holy Spirit that's going to cause that water to burst forth out of you and to bring transformational change into the world around you all the time when it's coming out. He said, look, you are not going to be like a reservoir that holds this water. You're going to be like a river that gushes this water out and brings it forth into this world all the time. I love that, that when Jesus called us to a life with him, he said, look, I'm going to give you everything you need. I'm going to be everything to you. I'm going to be all things to you. You can trust me with everything you know and have. But I want, I want to use you to let my power and my spirit just flow through you and out of you into a world around you in order to bring transformational change that more would know who I am and that I would be glorified by the life that you live. So it's this, this, guys, nothing can bring change the way the love of God and the power of God coming out of us in our lives can to the world around us. In fact, it just changes everything that it touches. In the story here, I'm not going to continue reading through these verses, but in the next few sections, Jesus is talking to this woman and he addresses some of the areas of her life where she's living immorally. So he basically kind of like confronts the situation with where she is, but, but he does it in a way where it's out of love, and so when he does confront this, guess what happens? She's convicted, and she is moved by it, and she sees the truth in what Jesus is sharing. 
She goes and shares this message with all of the other people in the village, telling them about Jesus. They have their doubts because they say, well, let's consider the source, right? But nonetheless, she's so passionate. There's something different about her that's very noticeable now, and so they can't help but be drawn to see what it is that she's talking about and who this man is and what this living water is. And so they all come, and they end up meeting Jesus, and they hear his teachings, and the Bible says in the end of that chapter, chapter 4, it says that they begged him to stay for more days afterwards. And many came to know and believe him as the Messiah, not only because of the words of the woman, but because they saw for themselves. What did they see? I don't even know so much as it was what they saw, as much as it was what they felt. They felt that love pouring out of Jesus, they felt that transformational power coming out of him when they came in contact with it themselves. So what happens, guys? What happens is a city, a spiritually desolate city, a wasteland by all terms and conditions that were, you would measure by in that time is completely turned upside down and transformed overnight. And many come to know Christ, and everything begins to change. The whole spiritual climate shifted. But why did it shift? It shifted because something that Jesus was carrying was given a place to be able to flow out of him. He was able to be strong. He was able to confront sin. He was able to, to, to take a stand for what was right, but yet Contrary to popular opinion, he didn't offend and, and harm or push these people away or separate himself from them. Completely the opposite. He drew them into a relationship with him. And even though what he taught convicted them, it says that they begged him to stay with them longer. Hallelujah. Is that powerful or what? We see that when what's in us is flowing out of us, that power of God that's bubbling up inside, that we go forth, and when that comes out, it brings the kind of transformational change in the atmosphere that we're looking for around us. I promise you, no matter where you're at right now, no matter what your life looks like, there are environments right now that you are in day to day, week to week, that could be radically affected by something coming out of you that's already inside of you. But you know, we get in this place sometimes where we think, well, this isn't for here. This isn't for this place. This isn't for now. I'm just going to kind of keep my Christianity to myself. That is the most limiting thinking we could possibly have in the church today. It will never, ever allow the things of God to spread and be fluent across our land the way that it needs to be. We step back and we say, you know what? I'm going to trust God. I got something inside of me that's bubbling, that's brewing, that I just, I know if this comes out of me, it's going to make a difference. It's going to impact people. It's going to bring change, and I'm just going to allow God to use me. I'm going to be like an open vessel, and I'm just going to let this continue to flow in and through my life. Do we have that video ready? I want to show you a picture of something. This is the picture. This is just kind of like a picture of what I get. Do you see that? The dam where all those floodgates are open. And you see that. When they're open, it's, and it's just pouring out. 
And it's changing everything beneath it, everything that it's touching, it's bringing change to. It's just stirring everything up. But if those floodgates weren't open, all that would be is a bunch of water just being held back by a bunch of concrete. There'd be no power in it. When they open the floodgates and the water moves through, it turns the turbines. Power is generated. But if no floodgates are open and no water's coming through, you have no power whatsoever. See, when we're open, vessels, allowing God to use us, bold, confident, but doing it in love, and God says, okay, let me do the part that I can do, that I need to do. They need to feel my love. They need to see who I am. And as you just allow yourself to be open and used by me, they're going to feel and taste and see who I am as I use you in your life. And that's going to be the trigger. That's going to be the catalyst for the transformational kind of change that we need to see in our land. I remember when uh, our, our fourth daughter, Evie, she's six now, she was a baby. And Katie and I were sitting there uh, in bed one night, and Katie had just got done feeding her. And all you mamas probably know this, but you know the last feeding before bedtime, you always like stuff them extra full, right? Because you're going to try to keep them from waking up in the middle of the night, right? So she was packing it in there, baby. I mean, she was getting all she could get in there, right? And uh, kind of topped her off and kind of squirted in her nose a little. No, I'm just kidding. She didn't do that. I was kidding. Oh, uh, she was, all, she was so full, and so we sat her down on the bed with us right before we were getting ready to put her to sleep and lay her down, and she started making these, like, noises, you know, burping, and you're like, oh, no, oh, this is not good, because she was so full. There was so much in there that you knew something was getting ready to happen, right? And so, you know, it's my fourth kid. I'm pretty sharp by now. I figured this thing out. So I do the sensible thing that any dad would do in this situation. I grabbed her and I put my hand over her mouth. <laughs> I thought, I'll just cap that hole and I'll just keep that pressure back and it'll just stay down in there and we'll be fine. Well, I can tell you that's not what happened. In about two seconds, I could, I, my hand could not hold back the pressure, and it just started spraying out the sides. It started spraying all over. It keeps like, ah! You know, it's spraying all over the bed, and it just made a mess of everything, right? What's the point of that, you say? Listen to this. John chapter 7. Verse 37, on the last day of the great feast, Jesus stood and cried out and said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture of his, has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, gushing, bubbling, coming out with power and with strength is what that means. It's not a trickle, and it's certainly not a reservoir, there is a river inside of you if the Holy Spirit is in you, and it needs to get out. It needs to come forth. It needs to be brought into our world, and the love of God needs to pave the way through your life, your words, your actions, and everything, so that more, just like in that village of Samaria, that more would come to know who Christ is. Cities, towns, communities, I have... I've, no hope really in anything of the world, guys. I have full hope in the church. 
that transformational change could come to any city, any town, no matter how desolate it looks right now, but I only have hope that that can happen if it's through the church, and it's through her members, and it's through the transformational power that's in us, coming out of us, into the world around us. We got to get strong. We got to be bold. And as that bubbles up inside of us, as we continue to stay stirred up in the things of God, walking with Him every day, that there will be this pressure that continues to rise that just has to get out. And people out there are counting on it and they don't even realize it. Their hope, their solution, their answer to eternity lies in so many of us being willing to be open so that we can just be a catalyst to be used for the love of God to come out of us and change the scenery and everything it touches around us in our lives. Amen. Stand to your feet with me today. Moms are going to think twice about topping your kids off tonight, aren't you? (laughs) You ever watch those shows where... It's like a survivalist kind of shows, you know, and they take somebody who is a survivalist, right, like an expert, and they drop them into like all these different kinds of situations. Cold, heat, desert, snow, ice, whatever. And what do these people do? They survive because they're survivalists. It doesn't matter what the environment is that they're dropped into. In fact, you can even see through a lot of them, there's kind of like this confidence that, hey, it doesn't matter, just when I get there, I'll I'll figure out what I'm going to do to survive. Because they know they can survive in any condition. They're trained to do that. We are meant to be transformationalists. Transforming power is in us. It's in each and every one of us who know Christ. It's there, waiting to come out. It has nothing to do, it is not in any way limited by the external circumstances around you. I don't, I say this, you know, graciously, but I don't care where you are, it's always the case. You can bring, your life can bring transformational change wherever you are. No workplace or office environment is too far gone. No family is too dysfunctional. No community is too run down. It doesn't matter. Transformational change can happen through any person who will be an open vessel and Christ's love will pour out of them in the area around them. I think to myself, the way they have these survivalists and they just drop them in to these situations and they survive. Maybe we could just like start airdropping Christians who are on fire for God into different areas and different communities and different environments. That'd be kind of cool, huh? You know why? We drop them in because we know transformation will come. We know they're going to survive when they get dropped wherever they get dropped. We ought to know wherever we go, transformation is coming. There ought to be a faith in that. Amen? Bow your head with me today. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for each and every person that's here. God, and I ask you that you would just take this message this morning that we've heard that we would begin to just 
become open vessels for you, Lord, that we would put our faith and trust in you knowing that there is a way we can walk in this world where we can be bold but yet not have judgment or hate coming out of us. That It's through you, God, that all of that is even possible, that we can go forth with power, that we can be bold and walk with conviction and not compromise, but yet love can just continue to pour out of us. I ask that you would give us all a taste of that in the days ahead, that you would use each and every person here today, God, in their lives in a way where you, they can see that transformational love that comes out of them as they remain open to be used by you, and that that would just build and strengthen in each of our lives. While everybody's head is still bowed, I just want to ask you, if you're here today and you don't know Christ, you say, Pastor, you know what you're saying? It's really pulling at my heart. I'm feeling convicted, but you can't honestly say that you've really ever made a, ch- a choice, a decision on your own to follow Christ. Maybe you've never confessed him as your Lord and Savior in your heart or before men. And you say, I want to make that decision today. I want to follow Christ with my life. Or maybe you've walked with God in the past, but it's, it's grown dormant. You've walked away. You've started to go down a different path, and you know you need to get back to, to walking with God. If that's you in either situation, I just want you to do this when I count to three. I want you to raise your hand, and I want to pray with you today. Because choosing to follow Christ is the greatest decision you're ever going to make with your life. It's where everything starts. It's where everything eternal begins. On the count of three, just be bold. Be bold. And be strong with your declaration. One, two, three. Raise your hand. I see 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 your hand, ma'am. You can put them down after you raise them. Four or five people. Is there anyone else who hasn't raised your hand? Say, Pastor, I need Christ today. I want to make the choice to follow him with my life. Awesome. With those four or five of you that raised your hand, listen, I'm going to say a prayer, and I want you to just repeat these words after me, but it has nothing to do with words. It has everything to do with your heart. You're going to surrender your life over to Christ, and he's going to come, and he's going to live on the inside of you by his Holy Spirit, and he's going to make you a new creation. You're going to live eternally in heaven with God because of this choice right here. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to come and live on the inside of me today. I receive your son, Jesus, as my Savior. I turn from my old life, and I turn to you. I ask you to make me into everything that you're creating me to be. I put my full trust in you. I surrender fully to you. Help me, God, to live each and every day now as you've called me to. In Jesus' name I pray.